What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk. And um, Queer Walk is just the insurgent speakeasy now, right? Okay, I'm I'm questioning the audio. I'm questioning the biweekly. So we just gonna rock with the insurgent speakeasy. <laughs> I am money. And um, y'all know I'm gonna talk about Brittany Griner, right? Okay, so uh, as long as y'all knew that, seeing that a new Queer Walk episode dropped, that my... Gay ass was gonna talk about Britney. Yeah, we might as well go ahead and get into it. <laughs> get into it. So I'm gonna drop the intro and get into the episode. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe incite my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go Worldwide from every continent, I just want you to jig a little bit Move them hips, feel that bliss, hug your sis, make a fist Don't resist your temptation, you amazing, no limitation My favorite in this matrix, we move by your vibration And that's love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love, you love, you love. Okay, y'all, I appreciate you for coming back to Queer Walk if this is not your first episode. And welcome if this is your first episode. I have to be honest, I just like was not feeling recording last week. Um, I've been anxious as all get out and... um. I'm going to, I think I'm going to talk a little bit about that in the mental moment this episode, but yeah, y'all, I think it's just been really hard for me to get on the mic lately. Uh, podcasting just doesn't feel the same. I've been like wondering if there are other things that I want to do with Queer Walk. Uh, it's like hard to be leaning into this like styrofoam filled box talking to myself and trying to work something out myself over here. And um, yeah, so uh, that's what it was. Um, I, I really would like to be like diligent as far as a schedule, but I would just ask that y'all be like patient with me. And if you subscribe and see a new episode, please listen. <laughs> and if it don't exactly hit bi-weekly, just know that, you know, I'm a team of one over here on Queer Walk and uh, I also have a job. Um, and so I, I just do what I can. I do what I can, y'all. And I love y'all for coming back to listen. <laughs> if you would like to find Queer Walk out on the social media streets, you can uh, follow me over where the Instagram fam, the Instagram fam have been holding me down at Queer Walk Pod. Um, I'm on Twitter, not as much, but uh, still there at Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. On Facebook, also where I'm less active. <laughs> I'm doing these in order of like where I'm most active. Facebook, facebook.com slash Queer Walk Pod. And where it all began over on the Tumblr, QueerWalk.com. You can also listen to QueerWalk, the podcast, all of the places you get your favorite podcasts, um, you know, uh, spot a lie. Like, <laughs> I just am so glad we like our gut was right about Spotify and they just keep revealing themselves. 
Um, but nevertheless, you can listen there. You can also listen SoundCloud, Stitcher, CastBox, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, all the places. If you would like to support my efforts to bring us queer women and queer folks of color, relevant uh, topics, information, goings ons. <laughs> Uh, over here on Queer Walk and would like to see this continue, you can support Queer Walk one of two ways. The first is really by loving Queer Walk out loud. Use the hashtag QueerWOC to talk all things the podcast. Um, you know, hashtag Queer Walk on all your favorite platforms. Uh, rate the podcast, review the podcast, uh, put us in a listicle if you write a listicle. Uh, request topics because I usually don't have any and it makes it even harder to turn the mic on. You can request a Queer Walk of the Week or Queer Pock of the Week also. Uh, repost the episodes when I post them and reply. Like, just talk to me, y'all. <laughs> I might be slow on the, like, reply, but I promise I'll get back. All right, y'all. So I'm moving on along to the Queer Walk, Queer Walk, Queer Walk of the Week segment. And the Queer Walk slash Queer Pock of the Week segment is just where I highlight, celebrate, give flowers to, uplift a queer woman of color or a queer person of color who is doing some really, really dope shit that I think y'all should know about. And today is no different. So I don't know how in the hell uh, Queer Walk has gone, been going this many episodes and I haven't already done uh, Gloria Anzaldúa as a Queer Walk of the Week. But, you know, I feel like this was just like divine alignment. It's episode 111, 111, you know, the repeating of a sequence of numbers. And Anzaldúa was like a proud witch <laughs> and also a bad bitch lesbian from Texas, which I, I feel like uh, Queer Walk has a sort of like bias <laughs> In support of lesbians from Texas, you know, I'm going to be talking about Brittany Griner on this episode, bad bitch lesbian from Texas, you know, Nikita, our beloved bad bitch lesbian from Texas. So I, <laughs> I just think it aligned for me to do Gloria Anzaldúa today as Queer Walk of the Week. So who is Gloria Anzaldúa? Gloria Anzaldúa is probably a really familiar name to folks who have ever taken a women and gender studies class. Uh, a Chicana studies class, uh, like queer theory class. Uh, I don't, I don't know if they teach her in like poetry classes, but they should be. But she's a theorist, writer, and Chicana lesbian feminist from Texas. Um, and recently, I have been like re-reading and rediscovering like Gloria Anzaldúa's work. I was first introduced to her in graduate school. I can't remember what class, if it was hip hop feminism or black feminism, but I know that Professor Gwen Pugh <laughs> is the one who put me on to Gloria Anzaldúa. It was in one of her classes, but I can't remember which one. Um, and yeah, I think in there we read How to Tame a Wild Tongue. I think that was the essay we read. Just about like, oh, you know, what it means to be a person from multiple communities, uh, speak multiple languages and have none of them like affirmed by establishments, society, uh, academia. Right. So I just I loved that essay. Um, I got to teach it when I was teaching intro to women and gender studies. I also taught it 
Um, when I was teaching the diversity course for marriage and family therapy, it's like a standout piece for me that like really puts into words all these feelings you have about like, you know, the June Jordan line, I am not wrong. Wrong is not my name. You know, it's like, I, it's nothing wrong with the way I talk. Right. And, and so I really, um, I just really love that piece. It's one of my like favorite Anzal Dua pieces. And so I was in a bookstore over the weekend with my sweetie and I saw that there was a um a book called uh Luz in Lo Oscuro, like Light in the Dark. And I was like, oh shit, I didn't know there was like another Anzaldua book, because I only have Borderlands and um I am gonna talk a little bit about it. <laughs> so I only have Borderlands, so I never knew there was another like Anzaldua book. Um yeah, I knew about Bridge, obviously, and um and like the the readers, like the Anzo Dua readers, but I didn't know there was another book of her writing. So I just got really excited and started rediscovering her work. So I wanted to talk to y'all about Anzo Dua if you've never heard of her. Um, she's an ancestor now. She passed away in 2004, but her work still slaps and still hits and still bangs, just like <laughs> all the badass uh, feminists of uh, four parents. <laughs> so... Anzaldúa was uh, born in Texas uh, to uh, Mexican uh, parents. She earned her BA from the University of Texas, earned her um, master's in creative writing from uh, the University of Texas at Austin, uh, and went on to teach and write all the things. (laughs) Her poems and essays uh, really explore identity and the anger and like isolation that comes along with inhabiting so many identities and living in the margins of a society. Um, Azadua has been awarded like all the things <laughs> for her writing, um, which I really appreciate that she got to have those awards in her lifetime because so many of our so many of our favorite like writers who kind of wrote what it means to exist in the margins didn't get their flowers while they were like here. Right. And um, we have to like make them infinite by giving them their flowers now. And so I'm just really excited that Anzo Dua was one of our like four parents who got to see their like shit be celebrated. So um, Anzo Dua was awarded the Lambda uh, literary uh, lambda literary lesbian. I should be able to say that with my my alliterative ass. Lambda literary lesbian small book press award, <laughs> the Sappho Award of Distinction for lesbian writing, the NEA Fiction Award, among so many other awards for her poetry and essays. Anzadua also wrote children's books, which I did not know, but now I have to get my nibbling some Anzadua children's books <laughs> because, I, you know, I'm trying to be out here encouraging bilingual babies, you know? So I'm like, what? Anzadua wrote children's books? Um, so I got to find some of those. If anybody have a lead, please send me a link. But of course, two of her like prominent works are uh, Borderlands, La Frontera, the new Mestiza, which came out in 87 and then had a 25th anniversary release. Whenever you mention Azadua, people are probably going to ask you about Borderlands. It's like one of her most well-known books. And also for co-editing, with, along with Sherry Moraga, 
This Bridge Called My Back, Writings by Radical Women of Color, which first came out in 1981 and has had a 20-year anniversary release and also is just one of those books that women of color feminists, it's like like the goat book (laughs) for women of color feminism. Um, I've seen so many spinoffs of the title, This Bridge Called My Back, like, Um, It's really like a foundational text for women of color, um, third world women, workers world women, uh, feminism. All your faves are in there, I promise. (laughs) And so Anzo Dua and Moraga co-edited that and um, put it out. So, okay, I wanted to talk a little bit about Borderlands. Um, I wanted to read a couple of my favorite quotes of Anzo Dua and... um, Yeah, and then tell y'all something exciting that I found while I was trying to, like, pull the notes together for this segment. So, um, so Borderlands, I encourage y'all to listen to the Lit Review podcast. Um, The Lit Review, if y'all have never heard of the Lit Review podcast, I love that freaking podcast. It is also an audio syllabus. (laughs) They quite literally are an audio syllabus. They take books and break them down (laughs) and explain uh, what the book is talking about, how the book came to be, and where we see stuff going after the book. Um, But episode 53 of that podcast, they break down Borderlands, Anzo Dua's most widely known book. I encourage y'all to listen to that episode. They have a much, much deeper um, and robust conversation about Borderlands than I can do service to in one Queer Walk segment. Yeah, and it'll give you a sense for if you don't already have a copy, if you want to go grab Azodua's Borderlands. The things that I think are really important that I wanted to repeat here that they mention in the Lit Review podcast is Borderlands is like, consider like, it's like, if you are doing Latinx studies, um, Chicana feminism stuff, it's like the, the first text, right? It's like the go-to text. The way it's written is so beautiful. Um, I love that at times Anzo Dua is like hard for me to read as a black girl who just speaks like black American English (laughs) and um, her creating of like form and new words in Spanish and English to describe experiences. She's really like building theory of what it means to be a woman of color who has multiple identities. So they talk about that in the episode of The Lit Review and how beautifully Anzo Dua captures what it's like to be caught between worlds as a person who's oppressed both by race, gender, class, and language. Um, And at the same time, uh, Borderlands has also been critiqued, right, for leaving out the experiences of Black women, um, Indigenous women, and more recently, I I think because of blowback from Moraga, Um, has also been critiqued for uh, excluding like gender understandings that we have today, whether it be non-binary or trans uh, gender experiences. Um, So they have a real conversation about this on the Lit Review. And I will say that I think what people have done with borderland theory has addressed, because, um, you know, we are finite, our work is not, right? (laughs) Right? So like we end, and the ways people take up our work, I think is also important in parts of our legacy too. So I think, you know, where Anzo Dua fell short, 
and, you know, passed away in 2004, I think people have taken borderland theory and done things that address these critiques. That's my opinion. That's 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 what I'm going to stand on. Y'all can quote money in saying that. And I would love to talk to folks about borderland theory who don't feel like um, other people who have picked up writing about um, borderlands have addressed, adequately addressed, you know, the uh, Black Latinx experience, uh, um, trans experiences, and indigeneity. Because I think it's, I think people have done it. You know, it's like when she was writing this in like the seventies and eighties. So of course it had shortcomings. And I think people behind her who have stood on Anzo Dua's like work and shoulders have have done that. They've picked up the torch. One of my uh, favorite podcasts back when I was early in podcasting was Anzo doing it. Um, I think that they're a perfect example of people have picked up borderland theory and done the work of today with it. So, so I wanted to read two, two well, one is an excerpt from, uh, probably, uh, Anzo Dua's most famous, uh, essay, La, La Prieta. And what, how I understand that <laughs> to translate is basically like the dark girl, the black girl. I think that's what, um, my sweetie was telling me is like, Prieta is like, little brown brown girl you know uh like so like right off the top addressing like colorism and like family experiences of like being the darker skinned one um but this is the excerpt that I want to read that I I really love and I hope resonates with y'all too who are my people I am a wind swayed bridge a crossroads inhabited by whirlwinds Gloria the facilitator Gloria, the mediator, straddling the walls between abysses. Your allegiance is to La Raza, the Chicano movement, says the members of my race. Your allegiance is to the third world, says my black and Asian friends. Your allegiance is to your gender, to women, says the feminist. Then there's my allegiance to the gay movement, to the socialist revolution, to the new age, to the magic, to the occult. And there's my affinity to literature, to the world of the artist. What am I? A third world lesbian feminist with Marxist and mystic leanings. They would chop me up into little fragments and tag each piece with a label. You say my name is ambivalence? Think of me as Shiva, a many-armed and legged body with one foot on brown soil, one on white, one in straight society, one in the gay world, the man's world, the woman's world. One limb in the literary world, another limb in the working class, the socialist in the occult world, a sort of spider woman hanging by one thin strand of web. Who? Me? Confused? Ambivalent? Not so. Only your labels split me. Talk that shit, I do it. <laughs> so I love that um, excerpt from La, La Prieta, which is in um, Bridge. It's an essay in this bridge. And I think it's only like six or eight pages. Um, but another, this, this is why I was like, oh, I feel like this is alignment because I knew I wanted to, um, you know, talk about uh, what's happening with Brittany Griner in this um, episode. I saw, I saw Professor Crunk, you know, Brittany Cooper tweeting about how like, um, Putin kind of knows that 
that black women are going to go up in arms for Brittany Griner. And I was like, call me pessimistic, but I just, I don't see it. The only folks I've even seen talking about this are black queer women and like black queer femmes or, or black queer uh, folks who are comfortable with femininity. <laughs> and, um, and, and outside of that, it's just been folks that I kind of suspected were queer <laughs> and, I, and I'm talking about it now. But Azaldua wrote in this essay um, something that just really felt like it resonated for how I was feeling on the Twitter streets. And Azaldua writes, nobody's going to save you. No one's going to cut you down, cut the thorns around you. No one's going to storm the castle walls nor kiss away your birth, climb down your hair, nor mount you onto the white steed. There is no one who will feed the yearning. Face it, you will have to do it yourself. And if that (laughs) ain't what it feels like to be a queer woman of color, I don't know what is. So, (laughs) um, yeah, so I just wanted to share with y'all those excerpts of Gloria Anzaldúa and a little bit of her popular works. And as I was, you know, trying to pull my thoughts together to highlight Anzaldúa as Queer Walk of the Week, I found a book called Teaching Gloria Anzaldúa, Pedagogy and Practice for Our Classrooms and Communities. And y'all, <laughs> this is like unbelievable. So I'm, I'm like looking, I'm like, okay, okay. This book is $100, y'all. So, I'm, you know, I'm definitely not ordering it. <laughs> but I'm like, ooh, okay. Ooh, this look good. It also has, like, tangible things, you know, like, um, uh, it has, like, lesson plans and activities you can do to kind of teach borderland theory, which I feel like borderland theory goes alongside intersectionality, right? It's like, what it, what is the experience of living in the margins and inhabiting all of these identities? And I'm looking through. I'm like, let me see who contributed, you know, who they citing in this. Boop, boop, boop. Guess who I see cited in this Anzo Dua, this teaching Anzo Dua book, y'all? That's right. Me. <laughs> I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I like my jaw dropped. So um in the in the, you know appendix or resources, you know, uh, footnotes of this book is Queer Walk, episode 40, L Words. I flipped out. I was like, oh my gosh. And they got me and Nikita's name in the like bibliography of this book. It just, it just meant so much because like I said, I've been like questioning, like what the hell am I even doing with Queer Walk? And to see that like, these folks who have inspired me, the way that their work is continuing on, that somebody thought that I was also in that legacy, that Nikita was also in that legacy, so much so that we are a reference for this teaching, Gloria Anzaldu. Y'all, I lost it for a minute, and it just, like, again, alignment, it affirmed (laughs) me. So even though I can't afford this book, I am (laughs) cited as a reference in it. It just it just meant big shit. I, it just meant big shit. I always try to do that for my friends who are creating, writing, uh, podcasting. It's like I'm putting you in the syllabus. I'm citing your work in whatever I write because it means something. Um, citation is political. 
it names who you think knows something, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so to be named as knowing something in the Gloria Anzaldúa um, uh, teaching book is just huge. So, I really want to thank the editors of that book, um, Margaret Cantu Sanchez, Candice De Leon Zapata, and uh, Norma Elia Cantu for just including Queer Walk and talk about alignment. Yeah, y'all. So Gloria Anzaldúa's uh, uh, the OG ancestor out here who wrote Fire and... I'm just trying, you know, just trying to live in them borderlands. We just trying to survive them borderlands continuing. So, Ashe Anzaldua, always, always. It's time for that black feminist healing. This, that real shit that make believe. Come on, money, please help me get my shit together. I listen to the moment when times get rough. Put all my headphones, turn it all the way up. Who's gonna give you grounding tips? There's nobody better. Oh, money, help me get my shit together. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all, I'm gonna move it on along to the mental moment with money. And this is the segment where I, Dr. Money, um, a licensed marriage and family therapist currently, because I've (laughs) I've been seriously considering a career change. I've been... Next year will be 10 years that I've been a therapist and I'm, I feel like that that is my career span. <laughs> like I'm, uh, I'm hitting my limit, y'all. Um, I don't think this is burnout. Whatever the stage past burnout is, that's, a, that's where I am. I'm just burnt. Um, so for now, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. But <laughs> in this segment, I just like to share some like tips, tricks, uh, tidbits, uh, information about mental health that I think might be really helpful to y'all. So today I told y'all I've been feeling anxious as all get out. So I have been seriously thinking about reassessing my caffeine intake, which I I feel like I have been struggling with since I was like eight years old, (laughs) like eight years old. Like that's the um, was I eight? Yeah, I was like eight. The first time I remember drinking coffee, I was in like third grade. And um, since then, it's just been a downward spiral with caffeine. So I've really been considering like uh, cutting back my caffeine intake because y'all, coffee, coffee makes me like anxious. It doesn't, it doesn't help with anxiety for me. If anything, it just like kicks it into another gear. So in trying to like assess this, assess my caffeine intake, I wanted to tell y'all about dandelion root tea for mental health. (laughs) And also because it might be your next fave caffeine replacement. Okay. So dandelion root tea. As all other roots and herbs, you know, it's not new. Recorded as early as the 16th century that dandelion root tea was being uh, drank by folks to help with skin problems and digestive issues. Um, So, yeah, so has been used since like the 16th century for skin things and um, 
and digestive things. But so I, whew, y'all, I read this research article whew, to um to kind of understand how dandelion root works and and why it's becoming like popular now, right? And I, I, y'all know, I put all of the um citations and links to stuff that I compiled uh, for the episode in the show notes. So. Okay, so what I gathered was that the polysaccharides and dandelions are uh, known to reduce basically the the workload that the liver has to do, and it also uh, supports the liver in producing bile and removing um, and filtering out toxic things from what we eat. So basically, dandelions boost our liver's ability to re- to remove the negative things from our um, body. It's a really good source of vitamin C, which is really helpful in boosting our immune systems, which we all need because even though Philadelphia listed, lifted the mask mandate, which I don't even know what the hell that means, that sounds so whatever, that, you know, we still have health issues out here, and uh, namely... Uh, pandemic (laughs) to meaningfully address. So uh, vitamin C, immune system boosting, we need it all, right? And so I was really uh, trying to understand like how, why did people start using dandelion root instead of coffee? Because there's no caffeine in dandelion root, right? So I think I understood it. I feel like that should really be the theme of this episode. I think I understand what's happening, but I'm not sure. So um, I'm going to try to sum it up here as best as I have distilled the information. Okay. So coffee um, prevents the, I feel like I've been talking so much about uh, neurotransmitters and like brain chemistry, even though um, the neuro class I had to take (laughs) was my least favorite class. I hated it. Um, That being said, coffee prevents the neurotransmitter adenosine from like telling your body that you're tired. That's what caffeine does. It's why coffee works. Um, Like your brain, essentially the um, little holes that would usually absorb the thing to tell you you're tired get blocked by caffeine. But um, when your brain starts to anticipate that caffeine will be introduced, especially during like a certain, if you drink caffeine during a certain time of the day, all the time, your body stops producing the like energy too. And so it's like, we don't need to boost you to let you know that you're not tired because you got this caffeine coming in that's going to like block the adenosine from telling us you tired anyway. So um, I was reading on Mind Body Green that this doctor says that consuming less caffeine means that your body will learn to make its own energy instead of waiting for like the daily dose of coffee to block the absorption of, of adenosine. Does that make sense? So in cutting back coffee, your brain realizes, oh, snap. We not going to get this boost externally. We got to start doing it ourselves. So, um, so yeah, so I was reading this person's um, experience about replacing coffee with dandelion root tea. And what they were saying was like, 
Um, okay, yeah. I used to get a boost from that cup of coffee in the morning, not gonna lie. But after like a couple weeks, um, I realized that I wasn't as tired anymore. So it's like, you know, the the time it takes for your body to recalibrate to giving you your own energy boost. Caffeine also causes our body to uh, produce extra cortisol, which cortisol is probably like the most well-known stress hormone, right? We all know cortisol levels, high cortisol levels, not okay for our bodies. Um, cortisol isn't always bad because it also helps with our um, st- like steroid regulation in our bodies and for us to maintain a blood pressure that's healthy. So, you know, we need some cortisol, like we need a little bit of that stress hormone, but to have it in excess uh, affects our a body's uh, affects our body's ability to pretty much do everything for everything from breathing to like reduce swelling, right? Like it, it's just like stress running wild in your body, which is not good, <laughs> right? So Um, If you're drinking a lot of caffeine, you can increase your cortisol levels to a point where you actually start to experience anxiety. My problem. (laughs) My problem, right? Um, And there's no, you know, okay, well, how much caffeine is too much caffeine? Because, you know, just like medicine, because caffeine is a drug, it affects everybody differently. So it's not like, oh, I have this many cups of coffee and and I'm on anxiety road. I wish it was that simple, but it's just not. So in learning about all these impacts and implications of caffeine on my body and my brain, um, dandelion root tea has become a caffeine-free alternative. Um, Okay, so if anybody has ever had like dandelion greens, because they sell them at like some grocery stores, they dandelion root tea doesn't really taste anything like dandelion greens. It's a whole nother part of the plant. Um, The greens are like, in my opinion, really like sour kind of. It's like a sour spinach taste. Um, And the root tastes a lot more like smoky, like coffee. And y'all... Okay, so my favorite coffee is Cafe Du Monde with the chicory. Add you some French chicory to dandelion root and tell me it don't taste like coffee. (laughs) So that's just, it's just like, if I can get all of the taste and the like sensation of coffee, but none of the like uh, (laughs) anxious aftermath, sign me up. And so um, the the taste factor, I'm going to be honest, is the number one reason why I was experimenting with it and switching my coffee cup in the morning out for dandelion root tea. However, I found a research article that shows that dandelion root might be a natural wellbutrin, basically. Um, and for folks who might not know, wellbutrin is like a really common uh, antidepressant, right? So, whew. I, this was a very hard article <laughs> to read. Um, it's like a it's like a brain neurotransmitter uh, research journal article. So I'm I'm gonna put the citation to it in the description of this episode. Maybe some of y'all are really up on your brain science, and this will be a breeze to read for y'all. But what I got from it. <laughs> 
<laughs> was okay. So the authors essentially uh, simulated depression in mice, right? So, um, like, gave them kind of like sedatives so they can be kind of like energyless, down, um, just like overly um, depleted, you know, kind of what depression does to us. And they gave one group uh, Wellbutrin for, for rats. <laughs> Like they gave uh, the like con- control group um, Wellbutrin, and then they gave the experiment group dandelion root. The and they used the science name for dandelions. I don't, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about—the flower that you blow the little things off of in the summer, right? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the scientific name of dandelions. So they gave one one group of the rats the dandelion root extract, and then they gave the other group of the rats, Wellbutrin, and they had statistically significant similarities in like decreases of their like listlessness, not moving around and not squeaking, right? (laughs) So so basically the article concluded from that, that um, in, you know, depression in rats anyway, (laughs) Wellbutrin and dandelion root tea work similar. They basically work the same for them. So I'm going to take that to be, and this, this study was done. Well, it was published last year. The way research comes out, it probably, they probably did it like two or three years ago, but um, recent research is finding dandelion root might actually have some antidepressive like um, capabilities. So um, that made me really happy. And that was like the final straw that I was like, okay, I'm doing dandelion root tea as the mental moment. Um, if y'all are interested in uh, trying it, trying out dandelion root, maybe if you experience a lot of anxiety after drinking coffee too, might want to try swapping it out for dandelion root with that chicory. Um, there are companies that already make dandelion root blends um, of tea. But yeah, try it. If you already have heard the good word of dandelion root tea, uh, let me know. You know, hit me up at Queer Walk Pod or use the hashtag QueerWOC. And yeah, uh, I hope this alleviates somebody's post-coffee anxiety, (laughs) including my own. (laughs) All right, y'all. I'm moving on along to the topic segment. And the topic segment is the gay potpourri of Queer Walk is where I talk about all things that don't fit neatly into our other segments. And y'all probably knew I was going to talk about this. (laughs) Um, And for folks who, who have not heard about this, I am really excited to share with you because what the fuck? So y'all, Brittany Yvette Griner, my... Okay, I have to I have to sort of situate myself, right? I I am not a Russian history buff. I'm not even a fucking history buff, okay? I had to beg for a C in world history 1 and 2 in college, all right? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not I'm not that girl. Uh, Nikita, I wish you were here because the whole time of me preparing for this, I just wanted to ask you about the Russian revolution, but y'all I'm, I'm not, you know, I wasn't 
the host that had the um, Noam Chomsky books. That was Nikita. Okay, so <laughs> so I I don't know. I'm gonna do my best in understanding like what the fuck is happening in Russia. But my takeaway from this <laughs> is that Brittany Griner should not be used as some geopolitical like bargaining chip in all of this. No black person, no queer person, no indigenous person should. But I do want to try to come at this from like a worker perspective and just like a stan of Britney perspective because <laughs> if y'all listen to the early episodes of Queer Walk, you know, I I was pretty much obsessed with Britney ever since seeing her dunk at Nimitz High School in Texas. So it's just, yeah, yeah, y'all know I had like a huge crush on her. Uh, in, in college during her Baylor days, you know, so it's like I've closely, closely followed Brittany and her career. She was my problematic fave for a long time, you know, now much less problematic. It's like, you know, less taboo to say you stand her in public these days. Um, but, you know, it's like nobody fucking deserves what's happening with her right now. So I'm going to tell y'all a little bit what about what's been going on. So y'all, um, Brittany Griner is one of the most decorated and awarded basketball players, period, <laughs> like period. Um, and I'm like, I think you should know by now, I'm going to like unapologetically stand her this entire uh, segment. <laughs> and um, that's just going to be what it is. Outside of being fine as shit, she is <laughs> She is the only NCAA basketball player to record 2,000 uh, points and 500 blocks in her collegiate career. That's men or women. Men or women. I will say that again. That is men or women. <laughs> so already made history at the college level where she won a championship at the college level as well. Baylor. Also, side note, shout out to Odyssey Sims, who's also on that championship team and was uh, doing her thing in AU Pro Hoops. She went on to lead uh, Phoenix to an, a title with the Mer- Phoenix Mercury in 2014. They just went up against Chicago Sky um, this this past um playoffs for championship and we're like dangerously close in that <sighs> every marker that you would measure and I'm not even stat hive but I'm a be stat hive for Brittany right now because every marker that you could measure a basketball player's excellence Brittany is either number one or number two across the board <laughs> right like every time we talk about defensive player of the year since entering the league Brittany is there either winning it or number number two, um, defensive player of the week, offensive player. She ranks like first or second. She's on, she's like on her road to being <laughs> the most dominant player the WNBA has ever seen on both sides of the court. She's won five EuroLeague championships, like the, two gold medals. <laughs> and so like, this is the caliber of athlete we're talking about. Again, aside from being fine as shit and her like um, advocacy work for uh, being a, a professional out LGBTQ athlete, you know, um, at the time when she was drafted, when she went number one 
to Phoenix. Um, this might feel like ancient history, but it was in the 20 teens, like 2013, 2014, where it was becoming sort of like mainstream accepted for professional athletes to be out. Like it was a big deal when Britney casually talked about being a lesbian after getting drafted number one. Right. So like it feels kind of like normalized now that, oh, yeah, this athlete's queer, that athlete's queer. But it really wasn't a thing that recent ago. So she's been doing that. She's every time she uh, walks in, do the like, you know, fit walk ins, her T-shirts always have some kind of political message on them, whether it's about funding Planned Parenthood, protecting abortion rights in Texas, protecting trans kids in Texas. Like she's she's been actively <laughs> maturing before our eyes all this time. And um, since the wrap of the WNBA season, she has been like so many other WNBA players playing overseas. She's been playing with UMMC. I'm I'm pretty sure that's the only team she's played with overseas since like 2015. Has won five Euro Euro League championships with them. Was on her way to go to continue playing for UMMC in Russia when she was stopped at the airport. Nobody has a particular date on this, but it happened sometime in February. Um, I've seen news outlets report maybe it happened at uh, the weekend of All-Star Weekend. She was flying from New York to Russia, was stopped at the airport by like a dog or whatever, the like narcotic dogs. And they claim, they allege that she had uh, vape pens Um, And she's been detained since then. This came out. I mean, I found out about it maybe three days ago. As as I was getting ready to record today, there's like articles coming out like it'll be like two hours ago, three hours ago. Um, So brand new news seems like to everybody. Uh, Her wife did post on Instagram that she, you know, was asking for like privacy with this. But um, how does a athletic superstar at the like height of their career get detained for any amount of time and at least social media or the news don't blow up about it? How? And my response to that is only a black queer woman could could be, and and then her whereabouts are unknown too. So. Officials have not told America uh, where Britney is being detained. And she's not, she's also not the first American of like any kind of like prominence to be detained in Russia over some like weed charges or some like, you know, alleged weed charges. There's like these two other guys that I was reading about who um, were also detained this year. And it's just scary. It's like the closer you look at it, it doesn't look like um, Brittany is is even close to like being in contact with people in America, much less released back and allowed to like come home. So 
there's like two parts to this that I wanted to talk about and that feel really scary. So the the first part, obviously, is like she's detained in Russia and we've been getting so much news about Russia right now. So I'm not even going to pretend that I, <laughs> I understand what's happening. I encourage y'all to listen to uh, two podcasts specifically if you want to hear like a radical take on what is going on. And those two podcasts are The Dig, their episode uh Russia Invades. It's the it's the last episode they did. So cuz like this is, you know, this is dominating the news right now. So yeah, The Dig, which, which was also one of Nikita's favorite podcasts. Um it's a very lefty podcast. And The Red Nation podcast, their their latest episode called No War, No NATO in Ukraine. So, y'all, <laughs> I'm like, okay, um, chronic C student in history here breaks down what I understand is happening. Okay, so basically, we in America are getting pumped full of news that like, oh, look at Ukraine. So sad. So innocent. We need to go over there and help them. And like Putin is on one. Fuck Russia. That's that's basically what the news is telling us. However, semicolon, Ukraine, it ain't all that innocent. And also America, mind your business. So (laughs) this is this is what I understand from what's happening. So all of that shit over there in Europe used to be USSR. Right. And then. You know, war, war, white people beefing. I want your oil. I want your money. The USSR collapses in like the early 90s. Russia basically came out of that as that bitch with the most like land and wealth. Um, A lot of stuff happened there. They fighting. Um, Rich people grabbing money. And the people basically got sick of that and said, we want a president. They elected a dude who was basically like, thank y'all, but I'm going to let my homie Putin run this. And that's how Putin became president of Russia. That, again, chronic C history student. So <laughs> so if that ain't how it went down, <laughs> somebody who um, got, got A's in history, uh, go ahead and fill that in. But that's my understanding of what happened. So since Putin been in there, he basically been been like Europe forever, like uh, fuck all these Western countries, right? Um, and Ukraine tried to be so basically a split, right? Ukraine is like half Europe forever, half now nah, we need the Westerners. Those people happen to be fucking whole ass neo Nazis, y'all. Like that ain't even me being a conspiracy theorist. Like literally neo Nazis out openly claiming to be neo Nazis connected to uh, white supremacists all over the world, including uh, the Charlottesville uh, rioters here in America and also the like the capital stormers, right? Like straight up white supremacist neo-Nazis. And basically what had happened was America was like, okay, Ukrainian neo-Nazis, we'll give y'all weapons to fight the Ukrainians who are like, Nah, Europe forever because they are willing to go to war with Russia, right? So America basically has been sending guns and money to right-wing neo-Nazis literally just because they willing to like bust at Russia, 
right? So what had happened was Russia was like, okay, we tired of this. Ukraine, y'all got all the bread. We finna, <laughs> we finna take you um, back. We finna take you over, right? Because remember, it all used to be one big thing. Um, and then it got split up because of war um, and borders, right? So <sighs> now where we at is... Um, Russia was like, okay, we not just stank with you no more, Ukraine. We actually finna like bust off. So we want y'all to bust a move because even though the people who are quote unquote in power in the Ukraine are like, nah, we with you. Um, it's Europe forever. They, the, the power in Ukraine is these like right wing, right wing neo-Nazis who are backed by Western countries, especially, especially the United States. Right. And so the United States caused this problem. And it, it you know, it's like really making me and, and they have the nerve, the audacity to like present to us like, oh my gosh, look how sad Ukraine is. Don't y'all think we should go to war? And because most people get their information from like major news outlets and not, you know, do the dig of like what's actually happening or people like me who saw no connection to world history classes are like, I don't give a fuck about that shit, whatever. Well, like crack jokes about World War Three, not knowing that like the people who are always most impacted, the communities who are most impacted by wars are poor folks, folks of color, indigenous folks, women across the globe, right? So where we at right now is like the United States caused this problem, helped cause this problem because the United States is basically a part of NATO, which I, what I understand NATO to be is just like, if we go to war, you go to war, right? Right. Between, <laughs> between all of these like uh, Western countries. And that's a treaty that the U.S. is quote unquote honoring, right? Even though we don't honor treaties all the fucking time. Especially a treaty as old as NATO. It's like, America, you're not even honoring recent treaties that you created with indigenous communities about, like, we promise we're not going to put pipelines through your land. And you want to honor this fucking treaty from years ago? Fallout from, like, World War II? Okay. All right. All right. I feel like, I'm y'all, I'm not even a geopolitical-ass bitch, but... Y'all done got um, Brittany Griner involved. And so now I want to know what the fuck is happening. So, <laughs> so, so that's that's basically why like the like all this talk is about us being on the brink of war. Right. What Putin said was like these sanctions are basically an act of war, which y'all. I don't even know a lot about like what a sanction means. I know it has to do with like who can send money where between countries. But what I do know is sanctions be uh, collapsing countries. Like if y'all if y'all think about um, like the call for sanctions in like Israel, right, to like uh, support Palestine. It's like uh, sanctions are meant to destabilize countries. Mostly because it's like, oh, you can't get this anymore. You can't spend this money anymore. You can't go to this country anymore if you're from the country that sanctions are levied against. And people in the country get so irritated with that that they just like, okay, fuck it. We finna have a revolution because like 
y'all, whatever the government got going on, we sick of these sanctions. Sanctions only escalate, right? So after all those sanctions and stuff and Putin was like, oh, y'all really want war, USA? Fuck it. We don't have no communication with y'all. That means that Americans detain. Oh, and then also then like the embassy, the U.S. embassy in Russia is basically like defunct, right? They probably got like two clerks working there. You call, you on hold forever, you know, get the music playing, whatever. Um, Because the United States doesn't have a relationship with Russia right now. So that means anybody detained in Russia who is a U.S. citizen who needs representation, who needs support, who we need to know their whereabouts, they need a fair trial. That is like pretty much impossible right now because Russia not fucking with America and America really not fucking with Russia and has done things that would be considered acts of war for Russia, like levying these sanctions, right? So coming back to our girl BG, that's what this has to do with her. <laughs> and this is like, I feel like this, um, all I can do is kind of like laugh to keep from being so terrified because like we're talking about a 6'9 black woman who don't speak Russian, who is like in jail in Russia and nobody knows where she is. And that shit is terrifying. And for her, her like case or for for her family to know that she's okay to depend on these like essentially countries like wanting to take over other countries or install governments that will be more conducive to them in other countries for her like ooh, for for her like freedom to rest on that is terrifying it's terrifying and it just makes me think so much about like if people were making these connections, I would not have been a chronic C student in history, right? It's like um, history feels so present and so constant when you are a queer person of color. It's like this is how all this stuff connects in our lives and deeply, deeply impacts us. So when we talk about imperialism and colonization, it's not just like this thing that happened at the beginning of the, of um, the start of America is something that's like actively happening now too. If we have to imagine that Brittany will, will get a fair trial and returned to America after relationships improve with a country that the United States has put sanctions against. Like, so that's one part of this. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. It's like, that's one part of this. That feels, uh, if I feel this way as like a fan of Britney, I can't imagine how her like loved ones and friends feel. And I just like hold all of them very close in my heart thinking about like, will will we have to wait until Russia and America are like, all right, cool, cool to hear from her? Um, and then, so that's one part of this. It's like, what the fuck is happening in Russia and how do we not know where she is? The other part of this I wanted to talk about is she was only in Russia because of a workers issue. <laughs> and, um, and like shout out to the womanist worker wordsmith wizard Nikita who like 
really put me on to thinking about working class issues and like learning so much from my like homies in Syracuse and everything about uh, workers of the world uniting. So I told y'all some of Britney's stats, right? And this feels like really unfair to even do because I just don't, I just don't like comparing um, women's basketball players to men's basketball players because it get like people get real misogynistic and fucked up online when doing this. But for the sake of like understanding who she is and her stature in the game, I'm going to do this comparison. And I tried to look it up. So, so for players in the NBA who have two Olympic gold medals and NBA championships, right? Because we're talking about a WNBA champion and an Olympic gold medalist two times over who is um, detained in Russia, right? Um, for NBA players that fit those categories, y'all know who we're talking about? Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Scotty Pippen. <laughs> Even if you know nothing about basketball, you know these names, right? So if imagine if a Kobe or a LeBron was detained as they were actively playing in another country and we don't hear about it for a month, it just would not happen. It just wouldn't happen, which is why I don't like making the comparisons because I'm like, misogyny always fucks it up. <laughs> and and it's like they wouldn't, unless they absolutely voluntarily wanted to, they wouldn't be in another country playing in their offseason. NBA players, even when they suck, even when they are bench riders who we don't know the names of, get paid enough to stay their ass home in the offseason, get endorsement deals, go back to their hometowns and start little league uh, basketball teams and all this shit because they make enough money to do so. So wage inequality is why one of the greatest basketball players to ever do it of any gender, Brittany Griner, was in Russia. So I I had to look this up. Um, One, because I was curious, but also because I'm petty. I wanted to look up NBA player salaries, right? So by all stats... In accounts, Brittany Griner is like uh, the number two player in the league uh, right now, right? So her like NBA equivalent would be James Harden, who plays for the Sixers. Shout out to Philly, right? So how much does James Harden make a year? So in the 2021-2022 season, James Harden made $44 million, 310000 as a salary, that means <laughs> that means that uh, James Harden was paid. <laughs> this is like ridiculous to say. $44 million in a year out earned only by Steph Curry, who made $45.7 million last year. The WNBA um, max contract cap is $223,000. And... Again, that's nothing nothing to score fat. As a 50K ass bitch myself, um, $223,000 is a lot of money. But in comparison to people who do the same job they do, 
uh, it is, it's not even a percentage. It's not even a percentage. If your male counterpart is making $44 million in a year and you're making 223000 a year, it's not even comparable. And so her overseas um, salary, Brittany Griner's overseas salary in Russia, so in her offseason from playing for the WNBA, she would go to the UMMC uh, Russia team and be paid a million dollars for the season. Again, that's one forty fourth of what her like, you know, counterpart in the league would be making in America playing basketball. It's just like you can't even say it's a it's a wage disparity at that point. It's like if I'm if I make one forty fourth of what somebody. In my same profession with the same credentials. And actually, it's like not even about credentials because um, Brittany Griner has way more credentials than a lot of these dudes who play basketball. Um, so many of them, even the quote unquote faves, don't have no gold medals. They don't have no championships. Um, and so for her to be getting paid what she's getting paid in comparison to them. Y'all, the lowest paid NBA player made $96,000 last year. That's the lowest play, paid. And the I'm not shocked that the WNBA hasn't posted anything about Britney because it indicts them as well. It's like, why do you pay these professional athletes at a rate that they have to go overseas in their off season to earn even a fraction of what their counterparts make? And I'm not going to get into talking like, well, advertisement dollars and ticket sales and blah, 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 all that stuff with anybody. Like I said, I'm only here as a stand of Brittany Griner, who is concerned about her safe return back to America. If y'all want to argue about that, um, there's an incredible podcast called After the Whistle with Dolores. Um, and they they know I mean, they are stat hive. They know all the shit. They are um, an Aja Wilson stan <laughs> who will tell you all the things. They will do that breakdown with you. But I think for the sake of talking about the like who Brittany Griner is and, and like how profound the silence is around what's happening with her, I just wanted to do these like quick comparisons of like if James Harden was locked up <laughs> overseas for an hour, we would know. Nobody has the whereabouts of Brittany Griner for more than three weeks and and like nobody is on it. It's not major breaking news. Like it just it's so upsetting and terrifying that all I could do is just like hope for her safe return. That's it. You know, it's like what like what the fuck else? What the fuck else? And I think something that also felt really gut-wrenching to me about this that I felt so reactive to is um, the folks who sent me this story or who I saw posting or talking about it were other Black queer folks. Tevin Campbell, you know, posting that he praying for Brittany Griner. Um, I just, it just like upsets me so much that like, because of the history um, of our communities, we know that, like, 
we can't throw anybody away or be silent about anything that's happening to anybody. But like folks don't turn around and do the same thing for us as black queer folks. And it, I don't know, it, it just kind of sent me into this spiral of thinking about no matter how much you achieve, you know, it's like your identity will al- always be that like deciding thing. You know, it's like you could you could you could be at the top of your fucking field. You can be that bitch. You can be Brittany Griner and this shit can still happen. And I just oh, it just it just unnerved me. It has not set right with me. Um, I can't, yeah, I just can't help but think about um, the way like big black women are treated and how um, scared I would be in a place where I don't speak the language and haven't been able to like contact my loved ones or anybody in a month. Like I would, yeah, it's just like really scary to think about and as you know, she's one of my like biggest celebrity crushes and also favorite basketball players to watch. I just really want her back. I just really want her back in America and fine and here for the start of the WNBA season. And if she decides to sit out this season for like mental health shit, I would totally understand that. I think the thing I just don't want to see is like some breaking news, a uh, terrible headline about her. So um, I I guess I will be hashtagging free Britney again. Just, <laughs> you know, another Britney. We got another Britney to free. And I, I feel like the only, the only thing that we can kind of do as people who are concerned is just like make noise because the, the, just the silence around this happening is just so, I just, it's, it makes me sick to my stomach. It just makes me sick to my stomach. I saw on on Twitter that uh, there was like a video released of when she arrived in the airport and kind of them going through her stuff. I don't and and th- nothing in the video shows them finding a cartridge, right? No, nothing in the in the video shows them finding like a vape pen in her bag. I, <laughs> I and, and you know, I don't. I just think about this identity shit so much. It's just like and you know who you are when you're like traveling through spaces, right? You're like, well. I can't be, I can't be no big black girl with locks traveling around with, um, weed, right? You know, it's just like, these are things you think about. And I just don't believe for a second that like she arrived there with, uh, vape pens. And if she did, right, like the, the, um, sentence of five to 10 years that she would be facing if convicted is bull. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, like who, who has an intent to distribute a freaking vape pen? You know, it's like, really? So when it comes to Britney as a black lesbian caught in like this geopolitical fight between America and Russia, what I know and what I want to like root myself in is like folks who believe in the stuff I believe in are always anti-war, right? So it's like, I do not, I think the United States should mind a business, mind a business, not interfere, improve communication enough to like bring home political prisoners, um, you know, Americans that are like trapped in other places, 
de-escalate this. Do not do anything to escalate this conflict with Russia. You know, the the U.S. like Secretary of State was like, yes, we know about uh, Miss Griner. She's on our agenda. Move her up your agenda. The only thing that need to be on your agenda is canceling student loan debt and freeing Brittany Griner. That's it. Damn it. <laughs> queer. That's the that's the official queer walk demands. Every day I'm like refreshing Twitter because Twitter seems to have more information than any news outlet about what's happening with Britney. So free Britney Griner and like what the fuck is even happening right now? Wow. All right, y'all. I'm going to move it on along to the last segment, uh, Curved Chronicles, where I talk about my dating woes and wins and or your dating woes and wins. You can go ahead and send your Curve Chronicles to me at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com or you can just like DM them to me and I will share them, reply. If you don't want me to uh, share them and just want to share with me, that's fine. Um, Yeah. So I was thinking of, because I knew that this was probably going to be a longer episode than I wanted it to be. So I was trying to think if I had a Curve Chronicle that I wanted to share. But, you know, I think I do. And usually I tell y'all these stories about how somebody curved me or I felt like really like side-eyed, wronged, or disrespected in these like dating interactions. But I think I want to tell y'all about a moment where I curved myself and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that the other person probably is still to this day side I and me, which, you know, hear the story and then let me know where y'all fall. <laughs> so I went on a date with this person. We, um, yeah, it was a really cute date. We went to a park um, and we were just like sitting there talking. It was like kind of one of those effortless conversations where, it's just flowing, right? I'm kicking, they kicking, and we just kicking together. Um, it was one of those conversations. And then this guy came up and he like tried to talk to me. And I feel like I, I was so thrown off because I'm like, oh, sir, do you not see what's happening here? And also like, you really don't read me as queer at all. But I don't think, I don't think men take the time to read anything as anything. It's just like, I'm sexualizing you and I want you to know it. But um, yeah. And so I feel like that was important, not because I paid it any mind, because what? But um, I feel like it kind of changed the tone of our conversation after this interaction with this dude. And so the person that I was on the date with was like, you know, sharing a little less after (laughs) after the dude like kind of, you know, tried to talk to me. And I felt like I was like taking up a lot of space. I, I feel like I get really anxious about this a lot because I I process out loud. So how how I come to understand things is through talking through them. And I also am an extrovert. So I'm always worried about extroverting all over somebody or like talking a lot because I'm trying to understand something <laughs> and somebody being like, damn, she take up a lot of space. So I started to get like anxious about that, right? And asked them about it. And they were like, well, I would really like to introduce you to my friend because blah, 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 right? Right. And I was like, oh, so that was a curve. That was like, yeah, bitch, you are talking too much. And <laughs> I have a friend who would love your like chatty ass, right? And they said that a couple more times. 
as we were hanging out too, they were like, yeah, my friend so-and-so should really meet you. And um, as we were leaving, I was like, oh, I should just drop you off because you're on my way home. So I dropped them off. And before they got out the car, they were like, yeah, and don't forget, I want to introduce you to my friend. And I was like, okay. Uh, We kind of made plans, loose plans to hang out again. We're like, oh, let's see what you're doing next weekend, right? And so I kind of took from the, the, I should introduce you to my friend being repeated, that this person was no longer interested in me. And what they wanted was to put me on with a friend. And so I kind of at that point, uh, categorized the, this person I went on a date with as a friend, right? I'm like, okay, well, didn't work out in a flirty way. They can be the homie. Cool, 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 cool. Fast forward, we made loose plans that then kind of like solidified into real plans. And they were like, hey, this rooftop thing is happening. It's COVID safe. Me and my friends are going. You should come. And so I was like, cool, I'm coming. I get cute, but not like date cute, you know, because it's like, well, you know, all, all the friends are going to be there. I'm assuming the friend that they wanted to introduce me to is going to be there. Whatever. I, I just finished work, kind of like fresh up the face and go. Right. So I get there. They're there with like four friends. It's just like, you know, just a chill, laid back vibe. This was actually a really good mixer um, that I went to. They had like conversation prompts all around on like little cards. And they had people who were uh, hosting the mixer that would come by and kind of be like, oh, you're wearing an orange shirt and this person is wearing an orange hat. Y'all should talk. You know, I think this was a really well done mixer. Anyway, the person I went on a date with is there with like three or four friends. I'm still thinking I got friend zoned because they like, oh, I want to introduce you to my friend. We're chatting, blah, blah, blah. It's a mixer. There was no, there was no like hug or, you know how when you flirting with somebody, you might like touch their arm, touch their leg a little bit as you're talking to them. There was none of that between me and the person I went on a date with. So I was thinking, okay, yeah, official, official friend zone, right? Like they not seeing me like that no more. This other random person that was at the mixer comes up. And we were standing by the bar. So they tried to reach over the bar. And I was like, oh, they kind of cute. So I start talking to the person who tried to reach over the bar. We end up exchanging Instagrams. And the person that I went on a date with is like, did you just get their contact information? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, um, this is a date. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, what? They were like, yeah, uh, did you not think this was a date? Like, I'm interested in you. And I was like, bitch, no. Like, how was I supposed to know this was a date when you brought friends along? We haven't, like, you know, flirtily interacted. And I thought you said you wanted to put me on to your friend. And they were like, no, I told you I wanted to introduce you to my friend because I was very excited about you. And I was like, what? I missed all of that. <laughs> and I think also about my own dating history is I don't assume shit about anybody's intentions because I've been that person trying to crack codes and deciphering what somebody means or what they want. I've been watching people's like 
you know, movements. I'm like, well, you know, she called me three times yesterday and, and they, you know, they drove to this place to see me this time. So that must mean that we something, it doesn't. <laughs> so I just don't read into people's stuff anymore. So I was like, just cause you invited me. I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea that you were thinking that this was flirty. Like we, yeah, there was no flirty indication. And so after the Mixer event, they were like, you know, visibly upset with me. And they were like, yeah, um, you are somebody that I would like to date. And I was like, oh, I missed that. <laughs> and now I don't know how I feel. Because I feel like after the the first date we went on, I was kind of... I was like, okay, cool. Then I wasn't, you know, you weren't feeling me. <laughs> and this was only the next week that that this like happened where they were like, oh no, no. Like this I wanted to inter- I said I wanted to introduce you to my friend because I'm interested in you. And so I was honest with them and I was like, well, damn, I don't know how I feel right now because I thought you had friend zoned me and I just, I guess I kind of like internally like accepted that and that like, it was weird. It was a weird interaction and I apologized for reading it wrong. And they were like, okay, when we finished that conversation, they were like, yeah, so maybe we can go to the museum. And I had no idea what that meant at the time. I was like, what the museum? Is that like a, a Philly saying? You know, cause, cause y'all know the like museum of art here is like a, it's like a tourist attraction right so I was like oh maybe that's a Philly thing like maybe we can go to the museum it's just like a way of saying maybe we can go out again but then my dumb ass checked my text messages <laughs> and then I saw that I had missed a text message from them because I'm trash at responding and they had said something in a text message about going to the museum together And I saw that going to the museum was a reference to the text message that I missed, right? That I didn't reply to. So I fumbled that ball. (laughs) I was not not being an effective communicator and therefore effective communication was not happening. And continuing to date somebody when you're in a space like that could, could just lead to like even more problems and even more pain. So I think the discomfort of like, how the fuck did you get that person's Instagram and we sitting here on a date was like enough hurt that I (laughs) I needed to inflict on somebody and apologize for, you know, it's like I maybe I just wasn't in the space where I needed to be connecting with folks at that moment. So that self curve and recalibrating is something that I can reflect on now. We never went to the museum. (laughs) It just kind of like, you know, fizzled out over text. I don't feel like it was like deep enough to have been, you know, to have a a closing text message. Like, you know, I think we want different things from each other and blah, blah, blah. I don't think it was that deep. It just kind of fizzled. I wish them the the best and I wish them their and their friend the best, you know, (laughs) their friend who they wanted to introduce me to. They were great peoples. Um, So uh, going to the museum is not a Philly saying. It was a text that I had missed up in the text chain. So (laughs) 
that was the time where I was the fuck up in a curve situation. And I'll probably have more of those. So if y'all want to hear them, let me know. And what do y'all, what do y'all think in general about this curve chronicle? Cause I've been thinking about it for a while. I was like, I don't know if I want to do it on the podcast. I just, I was just thinking like the queer world is so small. What if this person is like, actually, bitch? <laughs> fucked up than that and I'm and I'm just like well damn I need to do some more apologizing because I really just felt like it was a case of me missing cues and and probably not communicating as as well as I am capable of but it was like I did not read that hey we're going to this mixer I'm bringing some friends along as a date not at all not at all (laughs) so and all right that's it for this episode this is like A lot more than I thought it was going to be, but it's here. So (laughs) y'all let me know what y'all think about it. Hit me up at Queer Walk Pod on all the things. And yeah, I will see y'all on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. So come meet me over there. And that's it, y'all. Thanks for listening. Bye. This episode of Queer Walk the Podcast was made possible thanks to the monetary contributions of Luna and Marina, who became new patrons, and Tiff V, who upped their pledge over on Patreon. This episode was also made possible by listeners in Franklin, North Carolina, North Adams, Massachusetts, and Humble, Texas. Texas.